It looks like I have uh, some kind of extra special eye things going on, like a Halloween decoration or something. I'm not sure. <clears throat> anyway, I don't feel like I look like that in person, but my goodness. <laughs> hey, as we get into, uh, into this, I am... I'm very excited. All right, so part of the, the one of the things that we do as a, a church uh, is when somebody ha has a call into ministry, then uh, we want to help them with that. We want to go through and um, mentor them into what that looks like as a church. And uh, so there's several steps to do that before you can become fully ordained as a pastor. And it starts, everything starts with a local license, a local minister's license. And that local minister's license does not necessarily mean that somebody has a call to preach. It's just us as a church recognizing their call into full-time ministry. And uh, they have to go, you know, answer some questions like a written form. And then they meet with the church board and um, the church board either you know, lets them or doesn't as far as um, that. Just it's uh, making sure that you don't just go, I, I guess, go online and uh, you can still do that. But anybody who's ordained through the Church of the Nazarene has definitely went through a process and um, it starts with this. So uh, all that being said, uh, somebody in our midst has made that first step and I'm going to invite Giselle to come up now. And uh, she actually is a freshman at SNU this year. Um, she got her, yeah, give her a hand. We, in June, voted to give her this, this local license and we made her wait all the way till October. We were like, listen, if you're still in it in October, then, no, I'm kidding. Um, she had to go to, by the time the certificate came in, she was already gone, uh, but uh, she's there at SNU doing great. And um, I guess I'm telling her, you're doing great, right? No. Uh, no, she's doing good. All the reports I've heard are good. And, but we wanted to recognize that. So this is a, uh, her local minister's license to certify that Giselle uh, Becerra is given a local license on her way. And the next step for her will be a district license. So here you go, Giselle. We love you. And we hope all the best for you in your call to ministry. That's one of the very special things that uh, I get to do as a pastor is uh, work with people, help them um, if they have a call, recognizing that call in their lives. And we're, I'm so happy for her and, and what she has going on. So, well, it's uh, getting that time of year, isn't it? It's cooled down. Everybody notice it cooled down? Um, it's uh, awesome. Just, we got the air conditioner fixed too, by the way, just in time for it to cool down. But, you know, that's the way things go. Wanted to give you an update, too, on the floor. I forgot. Uh, the floor is, uh, we actually got to the halfway mark. It's a $54,000 floor. We got halfway. We put the order in. And I was like, can you come out next week? And they said, uh, no, there are, you know, all the things you hear about uh, shipping delays and stuff. That's actually a thing. And so we're going to have to wait three or four months before the product gets in. But um, just so you know, it's on the go. Um, it's on a ship somewhere and um, coming from France, in fact. So I don't, it's, you know, we got, we got some uh, fancy bougie kind of floor, I guess. But no, it'll be here. It's going to be good. And we're excited about that. But thank you all. And we're still going. Listen, we're only halfway there. And we want to keep, keep going with what we're doing. Um, listen, it's, it's my privilege, my pleasure. I love what we're talking about now. Somebody, we were talking this morning 
uh, before the service. And, you know, whenever I'm able to talk about something that I am passionate about, then uh, it, it makes it easier, I guess. Um, sometimes, you know, if we're talking about um, tithes and offerings, it's not something that, that I get passionate about, but um, talking about his kingdom, my goodness, I love that. I love his kingdom. And um, so uh, just a, a short recap to what got us here. Uh, we began by asking the question, for Jesus, what was his gospel? The word gospel means good news. And so for Jesus, when he talked, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' words, um, almost every time he says, let me tell you the good news or the gospel, he follows it with of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So uh, we took that and decided that Jesus is trying to help us understand what he came to do, and that is to teach us about his kingdom. This kingdom of God. What does that look like? How do we live in it? So last week we talked about this, I mean, I guess every week, the idea of making up there come down here. Whatever we imagine heaven to be like, and however we imagine the people in heaven are, let that happen down here. And let that happen through us. That's how we're going to do it. So last week we specifically talked about, uh, it was called move. Entering into other people's worlds. Uh, love is not inward focused. It just isn't. Love is outward focus. And unless our love goes outside of itself, then it will die. It can't stay with us or we'll become like the Dead Sea. And we talked about doing things for others. It's just important that we are doing things for others. And the first three weeks we talked about uh, more, pra uh, not practical, but theological aspects of what is the kingdom, what is it like, and all of that. And last week we turned our ideas to what are, uh, or our eyes to the practical ideas of how do we live that out. Um, you know, I love football. I don't know if you knew that about me. I do. I love football. And luckily we, uh, my favorite team usually doesn't play until uh, the later game. So we get plenty of time at church. It's awesome. The Cowboys play today at 3.30, I think, 3.25. But um, I, I have given up on the Longhorns. Um, they, <laughs> I, think, I think their season's over. Like, they should just call it and go in and start practicing some more and try to get ready for next season. But, um, you know, football is, is something that I love. So I played football in high school. The summer before my sophomore year um, was a long summer for me. Um, as a freshman, and where I grew, I grew up in Midland, um, as a freshman in Midland, the freshman school was separate from sophomore through senior. So they had their own, they were still freshmen, but it was Midland Freshman High School. And um, then we had to go to the, our own school. It's probably a good thing because all the freshmen weren't picked on and that kind of a thing. But then also it created this whole world where the freshmen thought they could do anything, which um, we did. But as a freshman, they would bus me over to work out with the varsity um, after the season, you know, getting ready for the next year. So I was, I was on track. I figured I was going to varsity. Like I, I love football. I, I studied football. Um, everything was good. Um, and I was running back. You can imagine a running back competition was stiff. And so getting ready for the um, sophomore year, assuming that I was going to be playing varsity, uh, the coaches gave us a, a, an ultimatum. They said that there were certain benchmarks that each, uh, each position had to meet before they were able to play that position. And for running backs, one of the benchmarks was that we had to run a mile in under six minutes. I don't, 
Like, you guys aren't impressed by that. Like, that's, that's a significant mile. Like, I couldn't do that now. Uh, no way. Six minutes. So a six-minute mile was the benchmark that we had. Um, and so that summer, because I loved it so much, and I was determined to be a running back. In fact, they, they made us choose because in... Uh, all the way up until I was a freshman and through my freshman year I did I was middle linebacker and I was uh, a running back and then they made us choose and I was like well I want the ball you know give me the ball feed Cal like feed Zeke you know well before before it was cool so um, I, I remember that uh, I chose that and that was one of our benchmarks so every day that summer I got up and I would run two miles and you can imagine you know living in Texas it's hot right it's hot summers and it was sweaty and it's nasty so I got up early so the summer before my sophomore year like everything was lost I didn't sleep in every day I, I ran every day I woke up in the morning and my two miles, and it was, um, it was a long summer, but I can remember, I, I had my route marked out, and uh, I grew up in a mobile home park, Airline Mobile Home Park in Midland, Texas. If you ever go, it's still there. I grew up in Airline Mobile Home Park. I had my route marked out. It was two miles every single day, ran the two miles. Every day, ran the two miles. So I can remember, the first day of two-a-day practices, they don't do two-a-days anymore, right? No, I think, I don't know, I don't think they still do two-a-days because, you know, they don't want it. Back then, they didn't care if they hurt us or not. So two-day practices, we had a practice first thing in the morning. And the very first day of two-a-days, we had to show up. And I can still remember, this is one of the things I loved about football. Still remember, there was not many people were up. Come out, there's, the grass was freshly mowed. The dew was kind of on the grass that morning. I can still remember the sun creeping up over the horizon, you know, you can see that. Like, it's one of those beautiful days. Football's here. It's awesome. It's not quite cool in August, you know, but it's, it's cooler than it would be later in the day. So I can remember, and we're all getting out there, and, and they get us lined up on the track at the uh, practice field, and they said, okay, guys, here we go. It's time to go. So they blew the whistle, and there we go, running our our thing. And I can remember I got about halfway through my mile and I was like half a lap ahead of the next running back. I thought I'm, I'm doing something wrong or I'm doing really good. And um, I finished running the four laps and by the time my last lap I can, I can still remember running across and they were calling each person's name out as they ran across. Calendar, five minutes, 46 seconds. Woo! I was so excited, man. I beat the mile. And um, I found out later that uh, I was actually, if you want to know, the only running back who made it under six minutes. I, I must have been the only one who took it seriously. Uh, and I don't know that any of the other guys got cut, but I was, uh, I was excited because for me, um, with competition as one of my strengths finder, like, I, it was very important that I win. And um, so I did. I won. I beat everybody. And I, I would say that I, can't, I couldn't believe I did it. But that wouldn't be true. I would, have been, I would have been surprised if I hadn't done it um, because I had practiced every single day for those six minutes. You know, I had worked my tail off every single day for that six-minute run. And here's the point. You see, races aren't won the day of the race. Races are won two months before the race. If you're going to be um, competing in anything in life, then it's going to be run, it's going to be won by the practice and the time that you put into it. So you can see where I'm going with that. Victories in our spiritual journey don't take place as they happen. Victories in our spiritual journey happen months before they happen. Faithfulness, and pay attention to this, faithfulness may be one of the toughest of all the virtues. 
to be consistent, to be faithful, to be there day after day after day. And here's why. Because we live in an instant culture, right? Everything's instant. Uh, McDonald's. Like, I can still remember when they went to two drive throughs at McDonald's, you know, because we just weren't getting our food fast enough with one drive through So now we got two at most McDonald's. At McDonald's, they've figured the whole world out, you know? So we got two. Uh, ATMs. I can remember, this is going to show my age for sure. The kids now don't even know what an ATM is, but I can remember when ATMs came out. <laughs> it feels like, like um, the first ATM I saw, I was like, what is this? Oh, you put your card in this and money comes, this is amazing. Like I don't have to go to the bank to get money from the actual teller. Uh, now I wish that they made us go to the bank to talk to the teller to get cash out because then we'd spend a whole lot less money. Um, self-checkout. You guys know self-checkout? Uh, do, do anybody, do any of you still use the regular checkout. I remember some of you, I remember the express checkout and that was, that was awesome um, going to the express checkout. But then self-checkout came and I'm like, man, I don't have to wait for somebody to go get my gallon of ice cream, you know, just boop right through and here we go. Um, microwave pot pies. I mean, even those, you got to wait two minutes for your microwave pot pie. Anybody else eat microwave pot pies? <laughs> yeah, a couple of you. Thank you. Microwave pot pies, are, they're awesome. They're not as good as an oven pot pie, but who has time to wait an hour to cook that thing? Uh, air, fry, air fryers. Anybody have an air fryer? Probably the greatest invention of this century is an air fryer. Um, ours is the de facto pizza warmer-upper because your pizza comes out and it's like fresh like you just got it. The point is, is that we are in an instant culture. Everything about our lives happens quickly. And this is it because we're impatient people and faithfulness is difficult. The greatest challenge, the greatest test that we're going to face is the absence of a challenge. I'm going to get into this in a minute, but understand that some people in our lives, and some of you here maybe, we live our life from one crisis to the next. What the point is that we're looking for the next crisis because we want that challenge. We want that thing to be faithful and consistent and continual. That's tough. It's easy to live from one challenge to the next, from one crisis to the next, to the point where sometimes we even begin to manufacture crisis because, man, nothing's going on. Like everything's happening. Um, grinding through routine, working day in and day out, going to your job every single day being a faithful husband or wife every single day, a, a faithful son or daughter or um, mom or dad. Like it's tough. When we do those things, that's a season of faithfulness. And here's where I'm going. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. And by the way, as I'm going through this, today's uh, sermon notes are in the church's um, app so you can download the church app and get to the sermon notes for today Hebrews 10 36 patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will then you will receive all that he has promised patient endurance you know this is when a lot of people drop out of their commitments it happens when things are mundane and not in a crisis. And, and this is part of the reason nobody gathers around us and says, oh man, your life is so boring. <laughs> like, right? But people will come around and be like, oh, your life is so exciting. Look at the things and the stuff. And you have a new boyfriend or a new whatever every day. It's awesome. You have a great life. 
Commitment is a long obedience in the same direction. Sticking to a commitment long after the excitement of that commitment is gone. This is the struggle. This is the challenge with relationships. And especially a marriage relationship. A long obedience in the same direction. Because you get in a fight, you get into a disagreement, you come to irreconcilable differences, and it's just easier to find a new one. But God has called us to be faithful. Patient endurance. It's what we need now. Something is happening. Here's what we don't see. There is something that's going on. God is doing something, even if we can't see it. He is building virtues like loyalty and patience and steadfastness. Things that help us in life. Things that help us go. And so that when crises come, they don't put such a bump in our life that we move on to something else. They help us to be patient and steadfast and endure the struggle. And then people gather around and say, man, how do you do it? Like all the craziness, but you're... Because God's doing something in us. We may not see it. It's kind of like flying in an airplane. When you're in the airplane, everything's fine and you're eating your peanuts and drinking your Coke. But don't go outside because you're 30,000 feet in the air going 600 miles an hour. You know what I mean? Like there's something happening, but we don't always see it. Our reality doesn't show it necessarily. All right, James chapter one. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Imagine people who run a marathon when their legs are aching and their lungs are burning towards the end of the race. It's then that their perseverance pays off. Not the first mile or the fifth mile or even the tenth mile, but in the last mile. Vince Lombardi said, one of my favorite all-time quotes, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. So how do we stick to it? What can we do? Because we know that when we're stressed, whatever's on the inside is what comes out. What are basics that can help form depth in us as we seek to bring his kingdom everywhere we go? Probably wonder where I was going. It's like the longest introduction ever. Here we go with some practical ideas. There are practices that we can develop that will help develop character in us, that will help to shape us, but they take practice. How quickly do we want to see results in our spiritual walk? Listen, in dieting, it can't be quick. I've been on a diet all year. Like, it doesn't just happen over one or two days. Musicians don't learn to play overnight as much as we wish Athletes can't cram for a game. It takes practice. It takes time. A small amount over a period of time makes a difference. It's almost like Sreece and I compared notes, right? Every drop makes an ocean. 
A small amount over a period of time. So here they are. First is this, hospitality. We're talking about bringing his kingdom, right? Hospitality. Building friendships with people who are far from God. We gravitate towards what is comfortable. Like on Sunday mornings, we go to the people we know, right? The people that we spend time with, the people who we like. <laughs> Not that we don't like everybody else. When people get saved, they join friendships and overdose on Christian fellowship. Now this is good and, and it's okay, but we can't remain inward focused. We can't let it continue to be all about us. Research shows that the longer you are a Christian, the less you like everybody else. Did you know that? That's the truth. The longer you're a Christian, the less we like non-Christians. Because we, we have a different life. It makes sense. Like we live differently. We, we're pursuing holiness and righteousness and we don't find that in the world. But this also is why Jesus didn't have as his closest friends people in the world. He hung out with and spent time with people who were like-minded. Now he did build friendships with others and he would woo them to him. Luke says that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, right? But the sick. I mean, what have you done for your neighbors? Have you taken them a meal? Have you brought them cookies? Have you welcomed them into the neighborhood? Have you loved on them? Do you know who they are? Do you even know their names? Hospitality. Another thing we can do is build community. And here we're talking about relationships with other Christians. How did you learn to be a good person? By hanging out with people who are good. You gotta hang out with people who are good. Spiral, uh, spiritual values are best transferred through a relational environment. In other words, spiritual values are taught, not caught. How did you learn to be married? For many of us, it was by watching our parents. As gross as that is. <laughs> or somebody in your life that, somebody in your life that you respect. You watch somebody. Oh, this is how you do it. Oh, this is how you handle that situation. This is what I should do. This is how an anniversary should be. This is, we learn. The more isolated we become, the weirder we are. Listen, there's something healthy about a community. There just is. Being with other people, learning to love each other, learning to do things for each other, building that community. Authentic community is not just hanging out either. That's why we believe so much in home groups here or Sunday school, small groups. Do something with other people. Get where you can be intimate with each other, where you can help each other, where you have a struggle and somebody can pray with you. Get involved in a home group. There's stages of community. First, there's hanging out. We're just hanging out. We're all okay. We're hanging out. The next step is chaos. I don't like you. <laughs> I'm okay, but you're not. You're a weirdo. Right? Like, I'm okay. You're not okay. Then there's authentic community. You're not okay, and I'm not okay, but that's okay. I love you for who you are. And something else about the church, we need to understand and learn that it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. 
It's okay to come to church and be open and be vulnerable. And when somebody comes open and vulnerable, then we as a Christian body, we as believers, we as the church, build them up. Lift them up. Hey, this is okay. This, let me pray for you. This is what we did this morning. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. How can I pray for you? We don't belittle and badger and say, oh, look at you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm so glad my life's not like yours. Or, oh, I can't believe that. Oh, you did that? We don't do that. It's building authentic community. All right, the third one is service. Service is the opposite of selfishness. This is where we get to release our unique gifts for the sake of the world. You know, every tool has a place in a toolbox. And you might even be able to take a tool and use it for something that it wasn't meant for. I mean, I've used a wrench, probably all of you have, used a wrench for a hammer. It'll work, but not well, right? It's really hard to put that square peg in a round hole, Sarisa. <laughs> It'll work, but let's find the right place for you. What unique gifts do you have? We want to find your niche. What is the fit for you? What was it that God created you to do? When you find your niche, then that comes alive in you. And you find you want to do. And oh, I love this. And I want to serve this way because this is what I was meant to do. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Fourth thing is worship. It's not just singing there's a difference between listening and hearing, right? This is like husbands get in trouble for this all the time. Because you can hear somebody talking, <laughs> but did you listen to the words they said? Bringing God's activity to the world through light. I love that definition. Because when we worship him, when we praise him in our worship of him, his light shines through us. And so as we worship, we're taking his light everywhere we go. We should live in a state of constant worship of God. And you know, it's our natural response to something beautiful is to worship it. Right? Think about when you see, if for you it might be the mountains of Colorado. Oh, my word, it's beautiful, right? Or maybe it's the beach and a sunset. Oh, it's awesome. Like something in you wells up, right? That's the response we should have to God. We worship him. It's that natural light that comes from him, or supernatural light, I should say. Expressing the amazingness of God now and through the week. It's worship. And the last is the first fruits. Giving God our best. You know, take the best part of your crops. The best part of what you've got. Not the stuff you can't sell. Cerise and I have done a practice with the fruits of our garden. Because we were trying to figure out, you know, it used to be that you would tithe from your um, 
the things that you grew, your crops and stuff or your livestock or whatever. We don't really do that anymore. And, and anyway, we, we had a garden and the first things that, that grew out, we thought, what can we do? Like we wanted to give God those things. So um, some of you maybe received some of our first fruit because we're trying to, how can we give it back? We want, this is like our reflection. So we gave some people here, like I don't, we don't know how to do this and God, he doesn't eat and who, so we gave it to people in the church, the first fruits. Here's the deal though, we've got to give God our first and our best. If you have two tomatoes that grow and one's all ugly and misshaped and goes with imperfect foods, like don't give him that one. Like, mm, I like the pretty one, I'm gonna keep it. That's in our nature. But we're at work restoring the nature of Christ in us, right? So we want to give him the good one. You know, it's not the big stuff that makes a difference, but it's the little stuff over time. It's not the big stuff. It's little stuff. It's, it's every day, and it's maybe one thing each day. I've, um, I've been on a, myself a little bit of a journey. I just changed the way I ate this year. And it's just a little bit over time. It's each day. And some days, I'm eating pizza and donuts and, and that's okay. But every day, it's a little bit. It's like the Grand Canyon. I got a picture here. The Grand Canyon. I don't know if you've paid much attention to the Grand Canyon, but I, I tried to, I was looking through pictures and, you know, this didn't happen yesterday. <laughs> it's a little bit over time. Something beautiful can be created if we give God just a little bit each day until eventually you've given him everything. And then in that, we're taking his kingdom with us everywhere we go. And people look at us and they say, man, you're not living your life from one crisis to the next. You're so faithful. I see what's going on in your life. God is really moving. That's his kingdom. Why do you love me so much? Because of God. How's it that your life is so stable? Because of God. And what you'll find is people that have crisis will gravitate to you because we don't really like the crisis. It wears us out. It's faithfulness over time. Let's pray. God, man, we love you this morning. So grateful for who you are, for what you've done in us. Help us to take these practices. Help us to learn how to build community and, and hospitality and faithfulness in our lives, would you help to make those things come alive in us so that other people might come to know Jesus Christ because we're taking him everywhere we go. That's what it means to live in your kingdom. So I just ask that you would help us with that. Help us to have a victory each day. We understand that we can't do it all at once. Build into us each day a little bit more of who you are. And my goodness, help us to find people who don't know you, people who are far from you, and build relationships with them so they might come to know you. Because that's what you have created us to do. Man, we love you this morning. 
Thank you for our time together and just motivate us through the week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.